Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. I told her myself that I'm a bit starstruck to have her on the show because she is LinkedIn famous. But we have with us today the one, the only Jess Cook, who is, if you don't know her, head of content at Lasso, also co-host and co-creator, if I'm not mistaken, of the podcast That's Marketing Baby, which I highly recommend you take a listen to. So thank you, Jess, for joining us. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jane. So happy to be here. Love it. Okay. I always start off before we jump into all things content and a few other things we want to dive into today. How did you first get into B2B marketing? Because I think you have a really interesting journey. Yeah. Okay. If I were to go back and like tell my younger self that I would end up in like tech, I would have probably laughed. Yeah. I started out as a junior copywriter. I forever wanted to be in advertising and was lucky enough to land copywriting and creative director roles on really fun B2C brands that had really nice budgets. So nice. Donald's and Rice Krispies and Pop-Tarts and Cottonelle and Very cool. Blue Cross, lots of fun television commercials, print ads, digital campaigns. I'm sure some of your listeners won't even be old enough to know what this is, but interactive experiences inside of Facebook tabs even. Wow. Um, Yeah, (laughs) dating myself there, but lots of really, really fun stuff. And working primarily in ad agencies, you know, digital ad agencies and branding agencies and things like that, which notoriously have really awful work-life balance. Yeah. They have forever is... I hope it's changed since the pandemic. I don't know because I'm not there anymore because it was awful. And (laughs) it was just kind of one of those, the mantra was like, if you can't be here on a Saturday, don't bother coming in on on Monday, right? Like that was a common phrase. And I just like this day and age, if you can't get your work done in like 40-ish hours a week or less, like maybe you're in the wrong job, right? Yeah. So I just, I was not a fan of it. And I'm a mom. I had already had my oldest. I was pregnant with my youngest and I just knew like I needed something else. Like this wasn't going to be sustainable. No more Saturdays. No, no, Mm -hmm. not worth it. So yeah, like for what? Like you're not like getting stock in a company that's going to take off, right? So yeah, I quit my job. Like I didn't even have anything lined up. Again, I was pregnant. I was like, this is not good for like my health, baby's health. Like I'm not doing this anymore. And so I quit. And I realized like two things. I wanted to take my skill set of like storytelling and writing, and I wanted to go in house and I wanted to do it remotely. And this is before the pandemic. So, like, there were some remote jobs, but it wasn't like it is now, right? Content marketing, luckily, was one of the roles that, like, hey, that people kind of realized early on that can be done really anywhere. Yeah. And so I I started really zeroing in on that as like the role that I was looking for. So the day that my youngest started daycare was my first day in 
B2B marketing. I landed a content marketing manager role at a company called Fastly. And the rest is history, as they say. That was kind of where I, I got my start. Wow. That's so amazing. I feel like so many people always dream about like when they think marketing, they think mad men, right? And like the alcohol yeah. in the drawers <laughs> and staying all night and sleeping on the couch yeah. in your office. And yep. it's so funny. I think even I remember my first ever marketing interview or maybe one of the first, but I went and I did not know the difference between marketing and advertising. I was so young and oblivious. And I, she asked me what like why I wanted to go into marketing. And I gave her a whole spiel about my favorite ads and why it's so exciting to me. And it had nothing to do with what this job was. (laughs) And that was my first lesson into like what the different paths are and why this should be taught in school so that you don't sound stupid in your first interview. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So funny. One thing you you touched on too, I would love to dive into is the copywriting. So Mm -hmm. copywriting and content creation such different things, but they often get tied together. And I mean, they are correlated, but how do you see the two working together? Or kind of, does everybody who's in the world of content have copywriting skills or how do you see the two playing together? No, I don't think that everyone that is in content has copywriting skills. I think it is truly, well, both are an art form. I will say that both of them are absolute crafts. Yeah. I don't think you are automatically good at both. In fact, I know for a fact I am a better copywriter than I am a content writer. I can do both, but I definitely excel at one more so than the other. But I think the big difference is like, how quickly can you get someone to go, "Mm -hmm," right? Like raise their eyebrows and like really pique their interest. A copywriter should be able to do that in one line. A content writer should know how to structure a piece of content or ask the right questions in a podcast interview, how to build a narrative around a video series that would do that over a longer period of time. Mm. And so that to me is like a pretty big distinction Yeah, where like a copywriter might draw you in very quickly, right? And like, oh, okay, I got to read more about this. Then it's the content writer's turn to like, oh, you want to read more because my copywriter had this snappy headline. Here's a great piece of content to give you some more depth. So that to me is really a pretty big distinction. Amazing. And that says a lot about how you've grown your personal brand, right? You're such a solid copywriter. I mean, you get those headlines, right? That get to draw people in to your posts and everything. That's amazing. I wonder leading content in the B2B world and being head of content, how do you see the world of like the the importance of copywriting and getting those one-liners, be it for ads or for social posts? Like, has that risen in the past few years? I think there's definitely like a mingling of them now, right? Like even you just said on LinkedIn, the hook has to be really strong to get someone to actually read the content. So right there, the headline is very strong copywriting. And then Mm. you have to back it up with a solid piece of content, right? It doesn't have to be long. It can be a, a short social post, but it still has to teach something of value. So I think they are mingling so much more now. And I think same thing, I land on a landing page because I saw an ad that had a great headline. I then need the copy on that landing page to get me to download the thing, right? And then the thing is the content that's really going to help me 
potentially change my mind, my heart to whatever your point of view is. So there is absolutely a commingling of those working together to like move someone down the funnel, get someone to take an action and then get them to shift their thinking. Yeah. Do you have a process for which comes first? Is it always the content itself? And then you think of clever copy to draw people in and hook people in, or can it sometimes come vice versa? For me, I think it's like the idea has to come first. So I know that our customers are facing a certain problem, right? They need help in this area of their business. Okay, what's an idea that can like really help them with that? And then once the idea is down, they all kind of come together. It's like, oh, this could be, that would be kind of a cool headline, right? And then like the piece of content maybe looks like that. Like I think they're in this role anyway, Mm. as a content marketer, I think they start to kind of form at the same time. Mm. As a copywriter, all I cared about was the headlines, right? Like the headline, the body copy, and then I was done. Like I didn't have to worry about the rest of it. And it was in like consumer packaged goods. Like there's really no, there's really no content marketing to be had there except for a few really specific cases. But yeah, yeah, I think that might be part of kind of why my background has helped me so much because I can kind of think of those things in tandem. Yeah. It's true. You're already like giving me thoughts of how I need to restructure how I think of content because I've always struggled to find, I don't consider myself a strong copywriter. I still need to work on my hooks for LinkedIn. It's always been a struggle for me to find strong copywriters. Content marketers, I can find amazing who get the full picture and can build out the entire quality piece, whatever it is. The copywriter, like getting those, those really good hooks that bring people in, that's been a struggle. Is that yeah. just me or is that really like a hard position to find or person really to find? I think it's a really difficult skill to master to yeah. distill a thought down into one or two really strong lines, right? I think first you have to understand the customer and then you really have to understand the problem. And then you have to distill that down into like a clever maybe not even clever, just a line that speaks to that audience, right? And can you do that in five, seven, nine words? That's tough. Can you do that in five paragraphs in 2000 words? Yeah, you can probably get there. But to do it in a sentence, that's a little harder. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I know I'm going to not make this conversation about AI because I'm sure that's all everyone asks me about (laughs) in content world. But that's one thing that I've seen that ChatGPT cannot do well is that hook. Like even if you give it all the content and quality, great information in the audience and it knows your brand voice, it still can't generate those hooks. So it's definitely a good, a great gap for quality writers to hone their skills on. Yeah, absolutely. They are not great at that like subtle wink, right? Like where a really good copywriter can get someone to feel like, I felt that before. Like, oh, I know exactly what they're talking about. Like chat GPT is not there yet. (laughs) No, lots of exclamation marks and way over excited about everything. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's true though. When you read something or something catches your eye, it's basically you want people to get that yes reaction. Like when they're reading or the opposite, right? The, "Mm, I don't agree with that. (laughs) That's not me. And I won't, I'll move on, right? I'm probably not in your audience then for sure. So interesting. What do you see working right now in the world of content and B2B? Like hooks will always work, but what 
what do you see just being successful? Like content has changed so much. Like what actually is defined as content? And it's so different from company to company. Curious what you see working right now in the big umbrella that is content today. Repurposing, like repurposing Mm. more than you create. You can really use that to your advantage. Yeah. Especially small teams, but really teams of, of any size. Figuring out how to take one really great piece and chop it up, say it a little bit differently, create it in a new format so that you have an entire quarter's worth of content, even longer if it's evergreen. Yeah. And I think that's because, well, a couple of things. One, it's a lot easier to do than constantly creating new stuff all the time. Yeah. Two, it lets you really focus on just a handful of narratives that are really important to your company. And three, it really just ensures that like, you're saying the same thing over and over, right? Messaging wise, you're repeating the same message in a lot of different ways. And so people are much more likely to know what you stand for than they are if you're just you yeah. know, creating content, creating content, creating content, story, 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 right? So I think that that has a lot of power right now, especially in a time where like no one's getting new funding right now. There's not room for headcount. Yeah. You kind of have to operate with what you have at the moment and finding ways to like be resourceful like that are really important. Yeah. It's so true. And especially with small teams and the whole do more with less, right? Repurposing is key. Do you find, because I find this, but it could be a, a case study of one here, that it's really hard to get your whole team on the repurposing bandwagon and kind of reframe a marketer's or even a content marketer's mind to not just create. I don't know if it comes from SEO background and being trained not to duplicate and duplicate content being this fear, right? And being flagged that you kind of stray from repurposing and always around this creation path. It's been hard for me to train teams and the mindset really, even myself to get into this repurposing piece. Have you found that too? I've actually found it's harder to get people outside of marketing on board with repurposing. But I do want to address that SEO thing a bit because I think that's really interesting. You're right. Like it is crucial that you don't have like pieces that are cannibalizing each other, right? But I think what you can do is go back to, hey, this piece right here is like killing it for us. Like the conversion rate on this piece, the high intent traffic coming to this piece is huge. So you don't want to create... let's say it's a blog post. You don't want to create another blog post (laughs) out of that same content. But what you want to do is like find the little mini lessons within that content. Mm. Use that as a social post. You know, hey, who wrote this blog post? Who's the author? Can that author do a quick series of like videos that now we have a human face attached to this point of view and we're pulling insights from this piece that does so well from us, but now it's in video format right? Yeah. You're not cannibalizing. You're just putting that piece, you're putting a megaphone in front of that piece in lots of different ways. So I think it has a lot more to do with repurposing for distribution and for people who potentially don't want to read a whole blog post. They're much more into video, right? Or hey, they want to hear, they'd rather hear a podcast than, than read a blog post. And so you can kind of take all of the information and lessons and insights from that piece that's driving a ton of traffic and potentially pipeline and just put it elsewhere, right? Use those same, that same information and give people a different way to digest it. So I think that's really important Yeah, because I get that. Like that is a hard mindset shift. Yeah. But I love that. Ma- it's not cannibalizing. It's magnifying. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. But yeah, I think I found it's like, it's harder. The marketing team is always getting like, Hey, we need this piece. It would crush for us. Right. And it's like, yeah, well, would it really? And I think that's one of the harder things to get people to understand is like outside of marketing, everyone thinks like, we just need another piece of content. We just need this one pager. We just need this, you know, blog post. But really, I think if you sit down with someone and you're like, listen, hey, you know, we have this, 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 and this. Is there something in there that would kind of satisfy that need if we turned it into something like this, right? So I think for us, that's been a little more difficult of just Mm. like getting people on board with like, we don't want to create more, right? Like, and that seems funny as like the content creation arm of a business. Yeah. But yeah, I think just getting people on board with that is tough. It just requires a bit of handholding and like sit down with them and help them understand why that's the better route. Yeah. And once you have some numbers to support it and can show the performance, it brings everyone on board. Exactly. Case in point, we, um, we spent a quarter working on two quarters actually in a row, just really doubling down on case studies. Like we didn't have Mm. a lot of case studies. We needed them. And so we were able to put together six great case studies. Well, now we need to move on to other things. We don't need to keep creating case studies this year. I think we're good for a little while. Mm -hmm. But now what we want to do is like sit down with the sales team, talk about which of those case studies feels like if one of these was kind of a a least common denominator for the prospects you're speaking to the most, like which one would it be? Which one feels most relevant to the most, the greatest number of prospects? And can we turn that into some sales enablement, something really easy that you could send or follow up with? And like, what would that look like, right? And so we're getting Mm -hmm. sales kind of to have some skin in the game a bit about like, what does that look like for them? If we were to take something we already have and turn it into something that they might be more apt to use more easily as a, as a tool. Yeah. Yeah. So do you consider, because this goes back to what is content, right? And how it can be so many different things, (laughs) sales enablement. In some companies that's owned by content and some it's its own separate team. That's pretty siloed. I'm curious how you consider sales enablement itself. I think it really depends on the size of the company. You know, like Fastly, we had almost a thousand employees. We had our own sales enablement team. They were huge. They were fantastic. Yeah. And that worked really well. At Lasso, we have four people on marketing. (laughs) Yeah. And so we do our very best to understand which pieces of content are working really hard for them. Of those pieces of content, can we turn that into more sales enablement type content, right? And so it's really, it's on us to work really closely with them to make sure they have what they need. And I think that comes down to, too, like we're gold on, you know, increasing pipeline. So yeah. we're very focused on revenue. Like we want to take those pieces of content that are going to help our sales team really increase that number yeah, and make it work for them. Love that. And I wanted to talk about metrics too, because especially with a smaller team, focus becomes so important, right? And prioritization. Yes. So how do you determine what you focus on? seems like since you're measured on on revenue, which is great for that sales marketing alignment, what numbers or metrics do you look at to identify performance and what you should be magnifying content-wise? Yeah. It changes based on business need, obviously. But I think something that we're very focused on is we, we have a team goal. Sometimes it's demos, sometimes it's MQLs. Like It shifts every once yeah. in a while, depending on kind of where we're at and how we're growing and what the future looks like. 
So we are very focused on that. And then we each have like individual goals that will help us then all meet that team goal. And we look at those and we're like, okay, what are some really like, what is that this quarter, right? Or what can we do right now in this quarter to get us prepped for next quarter, right? So Mm. like I mentioned, Q1, Q2 was very much about like getting case studies published. So now we have some content that is driving some organic traffic, but now Q3, we can take those same case studies and we can start to really like turn them into a powerhouse. So they're, someone's getting pulled in sales is pushing them out. Right. So yeah, we're really looking at like, what is going to help us get to that team goal. And that team goal is driven by that larger company revenue goal. And then I think we look at like all of the typical stuff, right? We're looking at engagement on certain pieces, conversion rates on certain pieces. Something I, I like to look at actually is a, I call it the repurposing multiplier. So if we have one mm. larger piece of content, what is kind of the multiplier on smaller pieces of content or reformatting that content from video to text or text to video? How many more people saw it because we repurposed it well than saw the original piece? So Those are just some things that we like to look at to kind of know like, yeah, we're doing this right. Yeah. And one more in my mind that I'm always really focused on is branded organic search because like ultimately I just want more people in the world to know about Lasso. And if that number is going up, then we know we're doing our jobs. Yeah. I mean, you and Drew alone, I feel like are driving so much awareness (laughs) for Lasso. So kudos. Oh, thank Um, you. I think I heard you talk about this uh, repurposing multiplier. Maybe it was on Justin Simon's podcast, the distribution first. Love it. If you haven't heard this episode, go listen to it. It's amazing. It's just so interesting. And being able to show proof for repurposing. And again, brings it back to like getting people on board, whether the marketing team or beyond showing that that performance and that magnifier. So cool. So go listen to that episode. (laughs) Another thing I've heard you mention, I believe, call me out if I'm wrong on this but is not being a creator of one, like bringing in other people like experts, not thinking that you have to be the expert in your field or to your audience. But as the content, anybody on the content team, you can bring in the experts and you do your content magic and you leverage their skills and knowledge, not just your own. Yeah. I love that you brought this up, Jane. So I think that was one of my toughest lessons when I first started in, in B2B marketing was that yeah. like, I did not have to be the expert. I think as a copywriter, like they look to you to like figure it out, write some great headlines and it's all on you, right? Yeah. And yes, you do some research, but you're not sitting down talking to customers of toilet paper, right? Like yeah. you should be able <laughs> to figure that out. <laughs> How do you feel about you, the latest Cottonelle adventure? Right, exactly. <laughs> And so I think I took that mentality with me when I came to B2B marketing and I was like, yeah. I, I have to figure all of this out. Right. And at Fastly, it was really technical. Yeah. There was so much about how like the internet is built and structured and how information travels and like security, web security and app security. And it was so overwhelming of like, how am I going to figure this out? Right. And I yeah. think the moment that it clicked for me that like, no, no you are not the one to have to figure this out. Like you need to reach out and make friends with the people who know what the heck they're talking about. And then you just get to take that information and structure a story and make them look really smart. So yes, I love that you brought that up because I think that was a really big kind of aha moment for me of like, oh, okay, that's a relief, right? Like it's not all on you. 
Yeah. You really just have to be a facilitator of information and the story. Love that. It's kind of going back to journalism skills, right? And yes. being able to pull that story out of the right people and carve out some time with them because that's probably another intimidating yeah. factor, right? Is everyone's so For busy sure. all the time, like yeah. getting them on your schedule <laughs> and being able to pull that from them. Record everything. Because <laughs> yes. now you can Record feed it to ChatGPT and get a draft. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your kind of rise on LinkedIn and personal branding and any tips that you've learned along the way. But also we've touched on this a little bit when we were messaging about getting on the show. As you've built this brand, what's come up, like if there's been any imposter syndrome or anything on that front, um, it'd be great to dive into. Yeah. I think for a long time, I knew I wanted to do something on LinkedIn. I remember telling friends, like, I, I kind of want to like start posting there and telling my husband, like, I feel like, I feel like I, I could do that. Yeah. But it was like something held me back, right? Like, what if like my friends see it or like, what's my <laughs> boss going to think? Or like, yeah, I don't know. What if people judge me? Uh, I don't know. What if it's stupid? What if it's too basic? Like, who am I to be telling people things, right? And there was this woman and I'm going to give her a shout out because I just think she's one of the main reasons I finally thought like, I can do this. And her name's Kelly Shortridge. She was at Fastly and she was a pretty avid poster on LinkedIn. She's an incredible like web security talent brain. She's written books. I mean, just like really, really impressive person. Yeah. And she, the way she posted about herself, she was so confident. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never seen a woman post like that on LinkedIn. And I was like, I want that. Like, I want to feel like that about myself. She probably doesn't even know it, but she was one of the big reasons that I was like, I can do this. Like, I want to feel like that. Right. And so April 18th, 2022, I was like, I'm going to start. I'm just going to start. I'm going to do it for a month. I'm going to do it every weekday for a month. I'm going to see what happens. Yeah, uh, And here I am, I'm still doing it. I wow. think I've learned so much. One is like, just post, just start doing it. If you have a pull at all, if you feel like a nudge to want to do it, just start. Yeah. Like who cares if someone's going to judge you, you don't want them in your audience anyway. Yeah. Right. Don't worry about it. Like every single one of us has a different path to where we are today. I'm one of a few people I'm sure who are posting on LinkedIn who have a creative background that are now in tech, that female that has the same sense of humor I do, right? Like, I don't know, we're all so unique. Like if you feel like it's already noisy and there's enough people, like there's no one just like you. So like do it anyway. Yeah. I think another thing is like you do shed that imposter syndrome because people start to be like, Hey, this is really interesting. I never thought about it like that. Things that seem obvious to you are not obvious to other people. That is something that shocked me. Yes. Where I would post something and be like, this is going to be so basic. Everyone knows this. And then people would be like, I have never, like never in my life have I thought about it like that. And you're like, oh my gosh. Okay. So So I think those two things together, just like, and then it extends everywhere, right? Like I go to work feeling more confident that like, yeah, I yeah. do know what I'm doing. I have a point of view. I'm good at this. Like I can write and I, I can persuade people. Like it just helps you in every aspect. And I think the third thing is like, you cannot help but become a better writer. Mm. And I think that was a side effect I wasn't really expecting either because I'd already been writing for 15 plus years. 
Yeah. But when you write, you can't help but get a, become a better writer when you write every single day. That's true. It's it's just practice. That's so interesting. Yeah. I always thought about putting yourself out there, kind of taking away from your confidence and making you more nervous or raising that imposter syndrome flag, I guess. But it sounds like it's actually helped with your confidence because you're getting this like reaction and like people commenting that they didn't know and you've helped them that you can then bring that, like you said, into work and you feel confident in what you're saying and and leading, right? Like maybe it helps you become a better leader. Yeah. And I will say at the beginning, like I, I was still very nervous and insecure. Yeah. And like, it took me a good handful of months to be like, okay, I got something here. Like people are yeah. this. I'm going, you know, so push past that. Absolutely. Because there's only one you and yeah. there's only one person that thinks like you and has the experience you do. And someone who's just a couple of years behind you might need to hear the thing that you have to say today. Yeah. Well, it seems like you've come full circle from being inspired by Kelly Shortridge, who I'll try to link to in show notes, to now you are Kelly Shortridge for so many other people and women out there, like seeing what they should be doing and giving them confidence to do the same. So kudos. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. I never thought about it like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's so cool. And it's great to see. I didn't know when you started. So like a year ago, in just a year, you've exploded so much. It's so cool. I want to dive into this a lot more too, because you're a mom, you have a full-time job, you have a podcast, you just launched a newsletter. Congratulations, everyone sign up. (laughs) And you you get our guests on various podcasts and you post every day on LinkedIn or every business day. How do you, A, do all of that? And how do you get started and keep consistent posting five times a week? Because I've struggled with that. (laughs) Okay, there's a lot baked in there. Yeah. First... I don't do all of this like alone. So my husband probably takes on, not probably, definitely takes on more than my share of the household stuff. My parents live close by. His parents don't live far. We get a lot of help from them. Yeah, I get my house cleaned. I have my lawn mowed. I have my groceries delivered. Like I'm very privileged and fortunate that like I can do all those things. So I can focus on this passion that I have to like share all of this. So that that's one thing I've posted about that before, because people have said to me, like, literally, I feel like I could never do what you do because I don't know when I'd have the time. And I'm like, well, I feel you like, please. My home looks during the week, like a toy store blew up. Yeah. Yeah. I know like toys behind me here. This is like two shelves. Yeah. (laughs) What you don't see is the living room, right? There's Mm -hmm. a reason this door is frosted here. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, like I definitely, I don't have it all together. That's for sure. So that's one. Two, I think when I really decided like, yeah, okay, I, I really like this posting on LinkedIn thing. I knew like in order to make it a daily commitment, I had to be really focused on it. And so like, I have like a list of ideas that I just kind of keep going. Yeah. They're never fully fledged. They're always kind of like half or quarter baked. And I know a lot of people, they'll like schedule stuff or they'll like, but they'll sit down on a Sunday and write a month's worth of posts. Like, yeah, I, my brain doesn't work like that. I can't just like bust them all out at once. And I feel like they're more passionate when I feel something right then or that week or like two days earlier, I had this idea and I have a slot open on Thursday. I'm going to, I'm going to post about that. Right. And so I'm never more than like a couple days ahead on posts. 
like I maybe have tomorrow's post figured out, right? Yeah. So I just try to keep it really simple. You'll notice I do a lot of like text based and do video here and there, but it, it's definitely not like my bread and butter because that takes yeah. time. Yes. So if I'm going to do a video, it's because I know the text version of that video performed really well. And I'm going to do a video version of it, right? Repurposing that's for the win. Smart. So that's really how I try to keep it balanced. It is a lot. And I've gotten now into a routine where it's like, wake up, work out, kids ready, out the door, LinkedIn, work. Right. And then I'm kind of checking LinkedIn throughout the day, but that's the routine. And I've really, I've stuck with that. And I think you have to figure out like, what is that for you? Yes. It might not be posting five days a week. And that's like really okay. If it's once a week, if it's three times a week, if it's every other week, like that's okay. I think what I really set out to do with this was the job market is crazy. It's fickle. If I, and and tech especially, and if someday I were to get let go, I don't really ever want to apply for a job again. Yeah. I just want people to come to me. I want my reputation to be well-known enough that someone would come to me and be like, oh, she's on the market. I'm going to go scoop her up, right? So, and that has happened. Like, that's how I have my role at Lasso. Drew Brucker, Mm -hmm. my boss. And I were LinkedIn buddies and we all really liked each other's content. We met up a couple of times for like Zoom coffee. Yeah. And when he had an opening, I jumped at it. So, So you know, I think if anything, just it gives you a portfolio of your thinking, your expertise that like, if someone were looking to hire you, they could go there and be like, oh yeah, this person really knows what they're talking about. I like how they think, right? So if anything... Even if you're not trying to build a giant audience or like post every day, like just get yeah. your thoughts out there so that you have something to show for all that hard work and time and effort over the years. Yes, that's amazing. So it, there's so many benefits to building your personal brand. And for one is it solidifies your skills and your passions. And especially as you grow it, it, like you said, builds that portfolio. It almost replaces your resume. I mean, to not have to apply is such a huge win that makes this investment of your time worth it. And I want to try to pull out what I took from how you succeed here. Delegate, outsource when you can, what you can. Yeah. And then third is it sounds like you kind of made posting on LinkedIn a habit. Like you put it into your, built into your routine with like your schedule in the morning with your kids, you factored into there. So it kind of becomes a next step after you drop off the kids, you do X, Y, Z. I'm curious, do you, do you put it in your calendar at all or it just is second nature at this point? It's second nature. Love that. It's just like, that's the next thing I do. It's the first thing okay. I do before I really start digging into work. Yeah, habit stacking. Yeah. Always comes down to that for success. It does. It's so funny. It's so helpful. And it probably getting on LinkedIn and sharing this and also seeing what others are posting and responding probably sets you up so well for a day at work, right? Because it gets your gears yeah. spinning already and like warms you. It's like a warm up, like you went yeah. to the gym for work. <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. I mean, again, like you said, whatever works for you, do that yeah. and start with like right now, I think I post twice a week but I'm going to try to habit stack it. I never thought of doing that to amp it up. So thank you. Good tips here. Yeah, absolutely. I find it's much easier if you do it at the same time every day, because if you're not, it's like, oh, I just, I don't have time today. You will always find an excuse, but yeah, if if it's like, okay, right after I do this, I always post. Yeah. It's a lot easier to get, to make it a thing. 
Love that. And if you miss a day, it's okay. Don't beat yourself. Totally okay. (laughs) No one's going to notice. Doesn't matter. I love using this too as a tool to battle imposter syndrome. That's fascinating to me because just again, always, I see it as a hindrance to getting started having imposter syndrome, but for, I know so many of us have battled with this or do on a cyclical basis, but to put yourself out there and get this response and build your network, using that to break down the imposter syndrome is such a great idea too. I love that. Yeah. I think something that really helped me with that too, even before I started posting on LinkedIn was like, look at the evidence. Like what evidence do you have that tells you, you know what you're doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all the projects that you've succeeded in, all the times where your boss was like, hey, you did a really nice job on that. Or like that piece of content brought in however many new prospects. Yes. Go back and look at the evidence because more often than not, you have way more evidence to say that like, you yes. are actually an expert in what you're doing than you have anything to the contrary. I don't know. It's just that weird inner talk yeah. that we all kind of have. So that's also so smart because I've, I've heard before and I've loved this advice. I do it, but not as well as I should. But building a kudos folder or a kudos yeah. file <laughs> on your laptop yeah. or your phone, that's like anytime someone gives you credit or kudos, or if you have a, like a really great performance on XYZ content or whatever you're working on, saving it, screenshotting it, putting it in this personal folder that is your own. And anytime you feel less than for any reason, you just open this folder. But building a personal brand on LinkedIn is its own kind of kudos folder. folder. Yeah, absolutely. I I do have one of those folders called, by the way, it's it's called pick-me-ups. And I I like screenshots of stuff that I'm like, I'm going to need that on a day where I'm not feeling it, you know? Yeah. Because we all yeah. have those days. I'm sure still have yeah. those days where you're like, Ugh. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. So many content tips and life tips and getting your brand out there and building it and how to get started. Habit stack. If you could go back in time to young Jess, just getting started in the advertising world, what piece of advice would you tell her knowing all that you know now? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think I would just tell her like, go for it. Like, don't be so scared. You know, I wish I would have started posting on LinkedIn sooner. I wish I would have made the jump to tech sooner. Right. But there's all those things that hold you back and and they hold you back for good reason. Making a jump to a brand new career is a risk. Yeah. Putting yourself out there is a risk. Right. Yeah. But I would just, yeah, I would go back and say like, just who cares? You know, I think as you get older, you care so much less about what people think about you. Like, yeah, just care less and do whatever makes your heart like race with like excitement and also a little bit of terror, like just do it. Yes. I love that. I feel like we should put like in the, on the bathroom mirror, who cares? Question mark as like (laughs) mantra. For real. It's such, especially after becoming a mom, I feel like it's like I'll jump to the next level of of caring less about people. Yeah. Like whatever. Yeah. (laughs) What? One last question. Do you have any favorite podcasts or books of the moment that you recommend to our audience? I do. Okay. Right now I'm really into the positioning podcast, which is by April Dunford. So it's new. She just started (sighs) it. April is like the world's foremost expert on positioning her voice, like just to listen to her, like slight Southern drawl, like love, love it. 
I don't even know if it's Southern. I don't know what it is. It's wonderful. <laughs> but anyway, it's wonderful. <laughs> she's, it's, she's right to do. And she's just so smart. She tells all these amazing stories. And, you know, I think that's ultimately what marketing comes down to is like, what do we want people to think about us? And so I think her advice on that podcast is just spot on. Love it. Her book, Obviously Awesome, is also a, a great one. Ooh, I think I just downloaded that good one. Really good. Really good. And then my favorite like marketing copywriting book of all time is actually called Hey Whipple, Squeeze This by Luke Sullivan. I read it way back in the day before, you know, it's now been updated with like advice on copywriting for social media and things like that, but didn't have that back then. Yeah. He's just a really funny, witty, clever writer who shares kind of his pearls of wisdom in terms of like how to be a great copywriter through his really wild and funny stories as like a a writer in in an ad agency. So great book for anyone who just wants to get better at that short form craft. I need that. We'll download right after this. Amazing. And I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the title alone. (laughs) I know. I know. So good. Awesome. Well, thank you just so much for sharing your wisdom and your time with us today. Super appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jane. I really appreciate it. And thank you everybody for listening today. If you liked today's episode, I'm sure you did. Please like, share with a friend, review, comment on our posts on LinkedIn. (laughs) And just where is the best place for anybody to connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn. (laughs) You can find me there. I'm the only just, I know I'm not the only just cook, but I'm the only one at Lasso. I'm on threads. Oh yeah. If you're, you know, into that, that's kind of new and fun. So I'm at that just cook on threads. And I have a podcast as well. It's called That's Marketing Baby. I co-host it with my marketing bestie, Susan Wenegrad, who was the other marketer with me at my role at Marpipe. And she and I are really just getting started. We have season one is out, but season two starts in the fall and lots of other fun stuff to come. So Awesome. Thank you again. And I will link to all of this in show notes, everyone. So you can search, go for it, but I'll, I'll link for it too. So thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day.